fixed Jesus. Now we have a lot of athletes in our church, quite a few athletes. As a matter of fact, we have a lot of people who run track, track and field people. Can I hear you? Are you in the building? Track and field, track and field, track and field. We have students who run track and field. Um, we have students in this church who are setting records and things like that, and we're hoping that it will lead to scholarships for many of you, if not all of you. And so uh, I am proud of you and your athletic prowess because when I was growing up and I could run, I did not like running. Uh, <laughs> I played football, and the only time I liked running was when I had the ball in my hand. Other than that, I didn't care for running. And there's an event in track and field called the hurdles, the hurdles. And I am told that when a track person is running the hurdles, they do not jump over the hurdles. No, they glide over the hurdles. And they can even brush up against the hurdle. Uh, their, their, their goal is to basically not break their running motion Brother Isaiah told me. I had to call in some reinforcements. So knowing that he and Rahab ran at Tennessee State University, I said, can you give me some knowledge so I can sound like I know what I'm talking about? And he said, Pastor, you want to glide over obstacles at full speed while maintaining a running motion. Man, that sounds good. I'll never do it, but that sounds good. And if you fool around and you run the 400-meter hurdles, um, for the ladies, these hurdles are two and a half feet high. For the men, they are three feet high. There are anywhere from 13 to 15 steps in between the hurdles. And they run these hurdles in order to win the prize. And today I want to talk about a mother today who ran some hurdles. I want to talk about a mother today who overcame some obstacles. And this mother in Scripture today is very much like the mothers in our lives, women who are persistent, women who have a tenacity about them, especially when their children are hurting, when their children are in need of a touch from the Lord. Mothers have a way of getting their children to the throne of God. And in the Scriptures, mothers even would approach the Son of God to say, would you help my child? Now, on Father's Day, we're going to look at a father who took his needed or, or the, the, the needs of his child to the Lord. So it's just not mothers, but it's also fathers. But there's just something about a mother's love. And so would you join me in Matthew chapter 15 to preach through a message called The Power of a Praying Mother? The Power of a Praying Mother mother. Matthew chapter 15, beginning at verse 21. The Bible says, then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Stop and pause. This is the first and only time, <clears throat> at least what we have recorded in scripture, where Jesus went outside of the geographical parameters of what we call Palestine. In other words, Jesus is in Gentile territory. He never left that parcel of land there in what we call the Middle East, 
Uh, he never left it, but he did encourage us to be missionaries to go out into the world. But right here, when he goes into Tyre and Sidon, he goes into a region that is known as Phoenicia. Phoenicia. Now, uh, Elijah the prophet ministered to a widow in this region, and now we see over a thousand years later, Jesus is going into this region, and he's going there with a purpose. He's incarnating into Gentile territory for a purpose. Now, according to Mark's version of this story in Mark chapter 7, Jesus is going into that region to rest. He finds a house, and he goes into the house to get some time to rest from the strain and the vigors of ministry. But while he's there, the people in the region hear that he's there, and one of those Gentiles happens to be a woman that we're going to be introduced to in verse 22. And the Bible says, And behold, a woman of Canaan <clears throat> excuse me, came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Wow. So we see a woman, a mother, who has a tremendous need, um, and she knows who to go to with that need. And just like I hope you know today that no matter what you're going through, um, I hope that after you've seen that you can't fix it, that only Jesus can fix it. And if he doesn't fix it the way you want him to fix it, he'll fix your heart and he'll fix your mind. Because in the end, he's going to make everything new anyway. He's the one who fixes it all. So I commend this Gentile woman for going to this Hebrew Jewish Savior. And the Bible lets us know a little bit about her. The Bible says she was a woman of Canaan. Now, since we're Old Testament Bible readers, we know that the Canaanites were the people who inhabited the promised land. And they were an ungodly group of people. Uh, and there was a bunch of them broken, with, broken down within the Canaanite group, the Hivites, the Jebusites, all these different ites were in the Canaanites. And God had told the Israelites to conquer that land. But if we go back a little further, even into the book of Genesis, there was a curse placed on Canaan and his descendants. Canaan happened to be a son of Ham. Ham was one of Noah's three sons. And from those three sons, according to Genesis chapter 10, the whole planet was populated. And so the Hamites, where the Canaanites descend from, uh, these would be your people of darker hue, darker complexion. Um, Noah's sons ranged in complexion from very light to very dark. Ham was the dark son of those three boys. And he had four children, according to the book of Genesis, and Canaan was one of them. Noah, according to Genesis 9, cursed Canaan. So the Canaanites were cursed. So they lived in the land that was promised to the descendants of Abraham. Now, according to uh, the book of Joshua, the Israelites were given the authority by God to literally wipe out this people group, but they did not do that. They were not obedient, and so some of them survived. And when we come to Matthew chapter 15, we see one of the descendants of the Canaanites still alive, living in a Gentile region called Phoenicia in one of the towns of Tyre and Sidon. So this woman 
who is, quote unquote, under a curse. This woman who is the, the, the enemy of the Jewish people, she comes to the Lord. She has a need. And she says, God, Jesus, would you help me? And when she addresses him, she addresses him with Hebrew or Jewish terminology. She calls him son of David. That is a messianic title for the Jewish people. So this Gentile Canaanite woman with a severely demon-possessed daughter comes to Jesus and she acknowledges that he is Hebrew, but not only that, he is the long-awaited and anticipated Messiah. So even in the Gentile region, they've heard about Jesus. Good news has a way of reverberating and spreading, and she's desperate. She's probably gone to every doctor she could go to, every religious person she knew, and nothing could help her daughter. But she heard Jesus was in town, and this determined mother said, I'm going to the Lord. And so we see now in verse 23, she goes to the Lord, saying, Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. Verse 23, but he answered her, not a word. Uh-oh. This may not fit into the 8 by 11 frame that you have of Jesus Christ. Nice little picture of the Lamb of God. Yes, he's the Lamb of God, but there was also a mystery about Christ as well. And the danger of systemic, not systemic, systematic theology that is often systemic is that we put God in our denominational boxes. And the thing about God, you can't put him in a box. The highest heavens cannot contain him. And so a lot of times we put God in these theological boxes and what we think Jesus should be. And then when we read passages of Scripture where Jesus doesn't fit the box, we think something's wrong with Jesus. No, something's wrong with trying to put a box on him in the first place. Let the Bible tell us who Jesus is, not necessarily our systematic theology. And in this passage, Jesus doesn't say a word. And if we're honest, and if we've been walking with Jesus for a little while now, we've had some moments where we're talking to Jesus. But it seems like he's not talking to us. Again, some of us are too spiritual to admit that. But sometimes it seems like we call in heaven and the line is busy or something. Something's going on. And I'm here to let you know it's a test to develop your faith, not to destroy your faith. So the first thing we see that this woman, this, the first hurdle she hits is a relational barrier. That's the first thing she hits, a relational barrier. Why? Because she's coming to Jesus and she finds a silent Savior. You ever been there? Yeah, it's okay. There are times where God is silent when we're going through a problem. And I want to let you know something. That although he's silent and he's not talking, that does not mean that he's not listening. Okay? He may not be talking, but that doesn't mean he's not listening. And so she's running into a relational barrier. And not only does she run into a silent Savior, now she's going to run into some dismissive disciples. Because it says in verse 23, And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. So look at the persistence in this sister here. She goes to the Messiah, the son of David. I need help, Lord. Jesus is not talking. 
She says, okay, that won't stop me. I'm going to go and talk to the people who hang out with you and tell them about my need. Because earlier in the book of Matthew, Jesus gave them authority to cast out demons. So she's saying, I I may not be able to get a hold of him, but I'm going to get a hold of people who are identified with him. In other words, she went to the church and she said, I got a problem. But like a lot of churches, (laughs) they dismissed her and said, "We, we really don't have time for this. This is a little bit above our pay grade. We, we, mm, Lord, would you send her away? Now she's crying out after us. So one silent Savior, 12 dismissive disciples. Now, most of us would have quit. We'd have had our feelings hurt right now. I went to that church and nobody spoke to me. Nobody greeted me. Well, maybe you should leave your chair and go and try to greet somebody else too, okay? All right, okay. But that's how a lot of times we are. We're very sensitive and thin-skinned. But when your baby is hurting, when your child is hurting and you're desperate, you're like, I'm not going to let this man not talk to me and these disciples want to get rid of me to cause me to leave. Uh Uh-uh. So now she's going to run up and try again uh, in verse 24. Because when Jesus, uh, uh, the disciples come to Jesus and like, Lord, would you get rid of this lady? He answered in verse 24, speaking to them. He's still not even talking to her yet. And he said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshiped him saying, Lord, help me. So this next hurdle, after she comes over the relational one, now she's running into religion. Religion, okay? But she's going to hurdle this barrier too. The religious barrier is that Jesus says, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In other words, I'm here for Jewish people. Now, again, don't don't, don't turn me off just yet, okay? Hang in there. Hold on. Because Jesus' ministry initially went to the Jews. But it was not an exclusive ministry only for the Jews. It was an inclusive ministry to include non-Jews, and that would be the majority of us in this room. And so Jesus had an order by which he ministered that salvation would come to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. But when he's saying, I've come only for the lost sheep of Israel, again, he's testing her. He knows that he's also come for other sheep as well. Because in John chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus said, I have other sheep who are not of this fold, whom I will call and bring under one house and one father, one God. So the other sheep are Gentiles. So he's always intended to bring us into the sheepfold, but he came to his own first. But his own didn't receive him. Not all of them, but to as many as received him. To those who believed on his name, to them he gave the right to become children of God. I just want to know, is there a believer that's received him? Any Gentile believers in here? Any African believers, European believers? I just need to know, Puerto Rican believers. Thank God that he's received us so that we could receive him. But he says to the guys, I've only come for the Jews. Now, while he's saying that, where are his feet? His feet happen to be stationed in a Canaanite, uh, uh, Phoenician, Gentile region. So while he's saying that, he's stationed in that place because he came there for her. 
So she's in a test, and, and Jesus puts up the religious thing. But I love how she comes at him the next time when she prays. She just says in verse 25, the Bible says she came and worshiped him saying, Lord, help me. She dropped the messianic title stuff. Because Jesus is trying to say, look, look now, you're not Jewish. Even though you acknowledge me in a way that my own people don't, I appreciate that. But, but we also got to respect order. You're not Jewish. So she drops the son of David part, and she just says, Lord, help me. You praying now when you drop all the religious garb. A lot of us think that if we say a whole lot of deep words and, and talk real slow, that all of a sudden God's going to hear better in heaven. Because we've been around some old deacons growing up. And we like, I can't pray like Deacon Charlie can pray. And you know how Deacon Charlie pray. You know, he, he get the napkin there, he start wiping his head. And he start humming even when he's singing. Ain't nothing wrong with that. But don't think that that's the only way to pray. Because some of us say, well, I can't do that. The whole point is, are you praying from your heart? Because Jesus said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It's the heart. And when you're at that place and you're broken and all you can say is, Lord, help me, that's enough. Remember when Peter tried to walk on water? He was doing it for a minute, right? He was doing it. Then he started looking around. And then he started sinking. And when he started sinking, he didn't pray some broad prayer like, oh, Father, great God of the universe, eternal Lord, the one who hung the moon and the stuff. No, he was like, Lord, help! Brother drowning, brother drowning, brother drowning! 911! <laughs> I like this lady. She said, Lord, help me. No other help I know. I'm coming to you. Forget all the religion. And just accept me as I am. You would think after hurling those two barriers, that would be it. But the Lord answers in verse 26, and he said, It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Wait a minute. Hold up. Time out. Did Jesus just call this woman a dog? Yes, he did. So now we're entering into a third hurdle, and this is a race hurdle. This is a racial barrier. Uh-oh, watch out. Because in that day and time, Jewish people considered Gentile people to be unclean. Okay? Jesus is Jewish. He's not so spiritual that he's not connected to his earthly heritage and the culture and the understanding of the day. And so Jewish people call Gentiles dogs because dogs were considered to be unclean animals. It was a put down by the Jewish people who were pious and self-righteous who would look down on Gentiles because they were not, quote unquote, children of the covenant or the promise or the patriarchs. And they would say that those people are unclean, they're dogs. And so Jesus says, I, I can't take the bread that is reserved for the children and throw it to the little dogs. Now, the King James Version puts a qualifier there that's not in the Greek, and that's the word little. 
Because there are two words that Matthew could have used. He could have used the word dog that speaks of just a wild, ravenous dog with rabies roaming the countryside, eating out of garbage and, and all that stuff. He could have used that word. But instead, Matthew, in order to tone it down a little bit, he uses the word for dog that speaks of a domesticated house pet dog. Like, like my dog, Lulu, a little small house dog. But whether it's a ravenous dog or a house dog, a dog by any other name is still a dog. And he calls her a dog. That's part of the culture. Oh, my Jesus. Then he says, I can't take the bread that's reserved for children. Who are the children? The children of Israel. They're sitting at the table. They get the bread. And, and, and he says, I can't take their bread and throw it to the dogs. Oh, wow, wow. Again, most of us would have walked away, walked out, but not this sister. She said, yes, Lord, <laughs> you need me to be a dog? <laughs> rough, rough. <laughs> I will be a dog. Yes, Lord. I understand the times we live in. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'm a dog. I'm a dog. Yes, Lord. But then this sister says, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. <laughs> She's like, okay, okay, I'm not at the table. I'm a dog. I, I, I'm down here. But any dog, when crumbs fall off the table, they're going to go get them crumbs. And she's saying, I'm willing to humble myself enough where you can call me a dog and I can eat crumbs as long as I get my blessing. Because a crumb from you is better than anything the world can give me. Lord, I'm at a place where I'll take a crumb. But see, some of us miss too many blessings because we ain't willing to humble ourselves enough. We ain't willing to humble ourselves. But this sister humbled herself. And the Bible says when we do that, we get grace. And so she humbles herself, says, I will take the crumbs. And, and for the record, for the record, so that you don't walk out of here thinking Jesus is being mean-spirited or even racist. Let me just say this for the record. When Jesus basically calls this woman a dog, Sign of the time, not sign of the times, a, a part of the culture and the times of the day. He has some dog in him too. Pastor Chris, what are you talking about? Because if we were to go back to Matthew 1 and trace G Jesus' genealogy, there's some Canaanites or dogs in his family tree. And the first one is a lady named Tamar who was the daughter-in-law of Judah that Judah ended up impregnating. So she was a Canaanite woman. And then if we go down a little further, there's another Canaanite woman named Rahab, who was a prostitute. She lived in the land of Canaan. She helped the Jews as they were coming into Jericho. So Jesus understands. See, he's got some dog in his family tree. So let's look at this and see this as a test. Not to destroy her faith, but to develop her faith, which is why it leads him to say in verse 28, then he answered and said to her, oh, woman, great is your faith. Anybody see that exclamation point right there? She went through the relational hurdle. She went over the religious hurdle. She hurdled the racial hurdle, and she crosses the finish line, and Jesus says, oh, woman, great is your faith. He blesses her. He honors this mother 
because her faith would not give up. Again, it's like prevailing in prayer. When Jesus wanted to teach his disciples how to pray, Luke chapter 18, he said that the Bible says that men should always pray and not faint. But Jesus gives a parable about a woman who went before an unjust judge who would not give up until she got justice from the judge. So here's Jesus elevating women in a culture where most rabbis put women down. He made a woman the hero of the story. And he said, if you want to have great faith like the woman in Luke 18, do what she did and don't give up. Well, guess who's there watching all of this go down? The disciples. And this woman is being used as a trophy of grace and a wonderful example to show these guys how to persevere in prayer and not give up when you hit the first hurdle. The reason why her faith was great is because her faith did not quit. What will make you quit and give up on God and give up on church and give up on the word? Again, God is trying to make you stronger. He's not trying to hurt you. He's trying to help you. The Bible says in James 1.12, blessed is the man or the woman who endures trials and tests. For when they have been tried, they shall receive the crown of life. This woman gets the crown of life because Jesus says, let it be to you as you desire. You came to me earlier needing to see your daughter healed. And the Bible says that her daughter was healed from that very hour. He healed her. Aren't you thankful for mothers who stood in the gap for you when no one else would? Aren't you thankful for mothers who who you gave up on yourself, but she didn't. She's singing and praying, fix him, Jesus. Fix her, Jesus. She's believing that late in the midnight hour, God's going to turn it and us around. There's nothing like a mother's prayers. My kids and I like to watch action movies. We like when people get rescued. And we... Look at the movies with Liam Neeson in it and uh, The Rock and Denzel. That's bad boy and that equalizer too. He's a bad boy. And so I asked my kids, I said, now, if you found yourself captured by an enemy, who would you want to come rescue you from their clutches? Would you want Liam? Would you want The Rock? Or would you want Denzel? <laughs> Interesting conversation, especially with my daughters. They up there talking about Aquaman. I said, we didn't include Aquaman in this. It, Aquaman ain't in this. One said Denzel. The other said The Rock. You know, nobody said Liam, but Liam a bad boy. But one said Denzel, one said The Rock. I said, okay, all right. And then it dawned on me. When we find ourselves captured or in the throes of a stronghold of the enemy, and our minds are being, uh, tricks are playing in our mind, and our emotions are all over the place, and we feel like we're ready to give up, and the enemy, he's devouring us, 1 Peter 5, because of our anxiety and our stress, and, and we're in the midst of spiritual warfare. And I asked my girls, if you found yourself like that, who would you want to pray for you? Your pastor, who happens to be your father, a friend? Or your mother. 
my girls, who are painfully honest, said to me, Dad, we want Mama to pray for us. And I started thinking about it. I said, you know what? I, I, I don't blame you. Because my wife has a relationship with all of our children that I don't really have. Yeah, yeah, it took both of us to make them, but she bore them. And watch this, not only for nine months, but when she gave birth to my children, our children, she shed blood in the process. And some nearly die and even die. So anytime you shed blood for a child, you can shed some tears to God for a child. And your kids know that. My father prayed for me. But Betty Williamson, oh Lord, when she started praying. And she still prays for me to this day. And I thought I would close this message about the power of a praying mother. Because I want to encourage all our moms, sisters, keep doing what you do. Keep pressing into God. Our lives are touched and better because of that. Don't grow weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap the harvest. Train up those children in the way that they should go. And when they're old, they won't depart far from it. It's your prayers. And my brother, I've asked him to take a few minutes, five minutes to come and just tell us how our mother prayed for him when he was in the clutches of darkness. So y'all give it up for my brother, Harold Williamson. Good morning. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. <coughs> I'm thankful for my, my mother because she prayed for me. I mean, even when I didn't know and probably wouldn't appreciate it, but a little bit of my story is uh, I was addicted to alcohol for over 30 years. Uh, I was putting that needle in my arm uh, for 23 years, and with that, I, uh, they had to restart my heart twice, and I spent probably a little over nine years in prison because the decisions I was making. And through that, I never thought about anybody else but myself. But through all of that, my mother kept praying for me. and. It's something about even if you don't know somebody's praying for you, you can feel it. And I know when I was laying in that hospital uh, and I came back to life twice, I know somebody had to been praying for me because even though I wasn't saved then, but it's a spiritual thing in you to know that uh, when somebody's praying for you, you know it. Some kind of way. I can't identify, but you know it. And that was over 16 years ago when I got clean and in July to be 16 years. And and, and to this day, 
My mother still prayed for me. She still prayed for my brother. She still prayed for all of her children. And uh, no, I'm just thankful because I know during the course of my, you know, my trip down out in the world, I know, you know, I heard her fleshly, but spiritually, she hung in there and prayed for me. So I thank you for her and for each mother praying for your children. Thank you. Amen. Amen. I want you to stand to your feet now. Don't give up. There may be a mother here today. You're, it's hard because you have a child who's wayward or someone may be here today and your mother is wayward. But don't give up pressing in and pressing on. God hears you. Even if it may seem that he's silent. Keep talking to him. Who else are you going to talk to? Who else are you going to turn to? Only he has the words of eternal life. And, and I've confessed this to my brother uh, back you know, when he was being restored. And I told him I gave up on him. Because if any of you have a relative or family member who's been addicted to narcotics or what have you, um, they can be sincere when they're sober. But because of the sickness, the disease, the addiction, it can take them back over and they start acting out in ways. And so we would go back and forth with this. And uh, when my brother was incarcerated is when I was most at peace. So I'm like, at least he's not in the streets. Again, some of us look at my brother. Number one, Pastor, I didn't know you had a brother. Yeah, yeah, uh -huh, that's my brother, Deacon Harold. And he don't look like what he went through by the grace of God. But I would stop praying. I'm like, Lord, I'm tired of praying for my brother. But guess who never quit? Mama. <laughs> Mama never stopped praying. And uh, he and I will be in Maryland this summer celebrating with a niece of ours that's getting married and our whole family knows the Lord Jesus and uh, thank you mom that God is still able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine let's pray God thank you thank you for mothers Lord it's been said that the closest thing to the heart of God is the heart of a mother Thank you for how, Lord, we get to see unconditional love through our moms. Thank you, Lord, that they're there for us. And many times when we're not thinking about them, we can take their goodness and their consistency, their presence for granted. They keep pushing on. They're not perfect, but they know a perfect God. And I thank you. I pray, Lord, that as our mothers go out today, that they would not only feel celebrated today, but I pray, Lord, every day. Because you told us that if we want to live long and we want to live well, we should honor our mothers. So, Lord, may they feel honor from us. Forgive us when we haven't honored them. Forgive us when we've gotten frustrated with them. Forgive us when we haven't prayed for them. Forgive us when we think that they've got all power. No, God. They get weak sometimes. 
Help us to make their loads a little bit lighter. Help us to do things without being asked. Help us, God, again, not just today, but every day on a regular basis to rise up and call them blessed. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for doing exceeding abundantly in my family. Thank you that when I look at my brother, I see a walking miracle. And when he looks at me, he sees that too because you just called both of us out as we sang today. You picked us up out of the miry clay and put us on the rock and established our goings, Lord. I was just a different kind of sinner than my brother. And today we stand not only as biological brothers, but spiritual brothers with a bond that cannot and will not be broken. Only you can do that. Would you restore families in this house? Would you give them images and visions of godly families and not just the stuff we see on TV and out there? Lord, may we look not only in your word, but in the house of God to see the power of Jesus and restoration. I pray for moms, Lord, who want to have children but just haven't been able to. I, I pray for moms, Lord, who have adopted or who are contemplating adoption. I pray for ladies who want to be married, who want to be moms. I pray that just, Jesus, as you said about this woman in the passage, that I'm giving you what you have desired. Father God, in the name of Jesus, would you give every woman in this house that which she desires, whether it be peace of mind or family, whatever it is, healing, give her that which she desires. You told us to delight ourselves in you, and you would give us the desires of our heart. So now unto our great God and King, who is able to do the things we're praying about. Now unto our great God, who is able to do everything but fail. The only wise God, our Savior, we give you all the glory, all the honor, all the majesty, all the dominion. Because you're good, you're God, you're worthy, you're amazing, and we love you. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said, amen, amen. Come on, give Jesus a hand. All right, after you hug somebody, get on to the restaurant. Don't let mama cook today. Don't let her do a dish. Nothing today. Take care of mama today.